HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. It's just about that favorite holiday, St. Patrick's Day. And around St. Patrick's Day, we're all a little bit Irish, aren't we? Well, today we've got the real deal on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and today, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we have a very special guest, straight from Dublin. I have with me in the studio, Cloda McKenna. Cloda is a celebrity chef, um, well, here and in Ireland. She is the author of four books and a brand new one out, two television series. You can actually see her series on PBS. It's called Irish Food Trails. Cloda, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much, Linda. I I absolutely am in love with Heritage Radio. <laughs> oh, that's a good advertisement. We want to hear that, Jack. You can cut that one. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, Irish, the St. Patrick's Day, of course, is one of the biggest holidays, I think, around the world. And it is celebrated around the world. I don't know how this started, but it's been celebrated for over a thousand years, right? Yeah, that's right. I actually think, well, I know the big celebrations actually started here (laughs) in in the USA. So I guess we have you to thank for that, for all our visitors that come on St. Patrick's. But I guess at home growing up, it was quite different when I was a kid. Um, I love thinking back of those times, actually, growing up as a kid, because it was really about you know, the small little parade that happened. You'd wake up first in the morning and there'd be the big, massive fry. So you'd have everything, you know, everything that you could have on a traditional breakfast. We would have that morning. It was like, you know, my mother's you know, morning glory of the fry. <laughs> oh. Well, and all, all restrictions of Lent were lifted for that day. All okay. restrictions of Lent were lifted. And in fact, it was one of the biggest highlights as a kid on the parade because... 
all that would be in the parade when you, when you were growing up um, younger would be, you know, the Irish dancers, there'd be, you know, the traditional music, and there'd be the ma- majorettes, you know what the majorettes mm-hmm. are? You know, mm-hmm. the kind of, sure, baton twirlers. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> baton twirlers. And then at the very, very end, there would be this little van, and they would try bazookas, and these bazookas are basically um, bubblegum, and we'd all be... The, you, you, all the kids would be just waiting at the side, you know, of the parade. And then it'd be literally like a ready, steady, go moment. We'd be jumping over and running towards the back. And the they'd throw out, throw out pieces of bubblegum. And you'd be trying to fill up all your pockets with them and, you know, open up your, you know, pulling out your, your sweaters so you could catch as many as possible. Oh, it's just so well, funny. Well, from bubblegum to green beer, I don't <laughs> <laughs> The holiday took a little bit of a, little a change. Turn. Yeah, yeah. But it is indeed a, a very celebratory time. And I, I think the religious part of the of the holiday kind of went out the window for <laughs> for many but i say everyone's irish on that day it doesn't matter yeah you know, and i'll get to celebrate uh, it's still quite religious in, in ireland mm-hmm. um like it, it is um, a national holiday right. it is a holy day in ireland and um you know, I, I do go to mass myself um and and i do on saint patrick's day as well and people still do um so there is that part of it that is still in, in ireland uh, and certainly having dinner around the table um on St. Patrick's Day is still a big thing and we do everybody does cook traditionally on that day now you know as you know food is kind of um has changed quite a lot in Ireland over the past few years but definitely on St. Patrick's Day there is that kind of you know that that remembrance back to traditional foods which which is lovely then I want to hear about those traditions so Mm -hmm. what would be some of those traditional foods that would appear on the table do you know what I think for every family it's always like what the best dish that their mom does and because we grew up in, you know, Irish food is wonderful, but there isn't like a huge cuisine um, in, in Ireland like there would be in countries like Spain and France and Italy. And so the, dim- the dishes would be quite limited to what we had. So the big traditional dishes would be the bacon and cabbage, um, which we didn't cook an awful lot of in my house. Mine was more stews. And my mom's big dish was the beef and Guinness stew. Mm-hmm. And she would make it the day before. I think also because she worked full time and there was four kids in the house, but um, but to her um, to her luck, I guess as well, it always tastes so much better the next day. And she would slow cook it in Guinness, and so she'd braise off the lovely pieces of beef. There'd be um, onions in it, and she'd top them all up. Now I use shallots in it. She'd put lots of wild mushrooms in there as well, and then she'd chop up little pieces of smoked bacon to give it that lovely flavour, and garlic in there, and thyme in there, a little bit of rosemary, and she'd brown them all up and fry them all up to kind of just encourage all the flavour to kind of um, to come together and then she'd put in beef stock into that as well and of course back then in the butchers you could go in and ask for you know some beef bones and make your own stock uh-huh. and um, so she'd kind of braise off the beef bones and make a stock and then add in Guinness and just let it slowly cook away all day long um, for you know I don't know about three or four hours and then we'd get lovely creamy mashed you know mustard potatoes to go with it was um, yeah it was delicious it's still mustard. one of my favorite nostalgic kind of dishes yeah and well uh, that's and it's certainly a true home style dish mm. really is a good home style and it's very much in vogue once again I mean stews short rib stews beef stews I mean they're very much you know a, a that home-cooked type of meal, comfort food. Is Absolutely, back, it know. is comfort food, isn't it? It's like on a cold day like today, that's all you want to eat. That's and right. they're cheapest chips to make because you can use, you know, the lesser expensive cuts to, to cook with them. And they're they're so simple to make. You know, it's like 
basically two steps and the cooking time you know isn't your time so it's right yeah it's (laughs) put it in the slow cooker or in a pot on low heat and there you go exactly okay and soda bread we always have to have (laughs) soda bread here in this country yeah okay what are your views on soda bread (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you know um well you tell me about about true irish soda bread if you know that it's um i know you have some wonderful recipes in your books before soda bread different types of soda bread um, but it didn't contain all the, the sweetness that we see today, the sugar or the raisins. and Yeah, no, I, I think the, the classic soda bread really was made because, um, or yeah, was made because it was just so easy to make. Um, and also it just had such few ingredients. So really you should just be able to make it with buttermilk you know, and wheat flour mm-hmm. and or wholemeal flour. Um, and that's all you really need. And of course some soda just so that it will rise. Excuse me. Now all the other additions are all kind of, we'll say, add-ons, if you, for want of a better word. But the classic soda bread like that is absolutely delicious. The secret, I think, to it as well is that it has to be done by hands. Mm. You know, like anything that's beautifully done, whether it's a piece of furniture or not, when the hands are used, there's more care in there. But a light touch as well. So when you're making your, your sodas, you, know, you put your sieve your flour in and your soda in and make a well in the centre and try to, and slowly pouring in your buttermilk, try to actually get it mixed together as soon as possible. The dough should be wet when you're, pu- you know, when you're, when you're flatting it out and actually making it into a round and then into the oven. And, um, and they're, they're the things just to remember, you know, good quality buttermilk, good quality flour, and it's very simple, basic kind of elements to it. And like a biscuit, don't handle it too much, right? You know, yeah, exactly. It hand. Well, it's interesting because here in America, breads that are made with um, baking powder and baking soda, we refer to as quick breads. Oh, really? As opposed to a yeast bread, which has to rise, you know, take time. Yeah. And, uh, of course, traditionally in Ireland, the the wheat that was grown was a, a hard wheat. Not yes. a, and so it didn't take to yeast quite as well as it did to soda. I think it was probably... One of the reasons it came about, I would imagine. Absolutely. Go ahead. And I was actually going to add as well, actually, what I usually do with my soda breads as well is um, is sprinkle some pinhead oatmeal as well on top of it, which Uh gives that lovely crunch. And it's because soda bread sometimes... I mean, I love the consistency of a crunch on the outside of my breads, like sourdoughs and... Yeah, and even the pizzas here at Roberta's, even if it is a pizza, <laughs> that yeah. crunch on the outside and that yes. softness then in the inside, just those different kind of textures. So, yeah, try putting pinhead oatmeal over it. You get that lovely crunchiness. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, when you say pinhead, describe to, to our listeners what you mean by pinhead. Um, God, how do I describe that? Um, I guess opposed it's supposed cut, to steel cut oats. Oh, is that what yeah. you call it? Yes. Yeah, okay, cut. yeah. Steel yeah. cut oats, yeah, everybody. <laughs> Um, okay, so we said that quick breads made with soda as opposed to risen breads with yeast. And yet here in America, one of the, at least from my childhood, something that really spoke of St. Patrick's Day and Easter, you know, mm. both holidays coming around the same time, hot cross buns. Are oh they still, God. are they Are they an item in Ireland? Are they a big iron? Can you say hot cross buns again? In mm, hot cross buns. Okay, I just had another Jane Fonda <laughs> moment. <laughs> I, I use I'm so like Jane Vonda. But yeah, hot crisp buns. Oh my gosh, they're one of my favorite things in the world. Um, yeah, they, they're, they're, 
I, I'm not sure they were so traditional in Ireland. I think that probably we took that from um, the UK. They probably took it from somewhere else. But traditionally now they are made um, all over Ireland and, and have been, I'd say, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're beautiful. They're, do you make them here? In, yes. Oh, oh, they are a huge part of, of I would say, more Easter than um, St. Patrick's Day. Okay. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, yes, you find them with maybe a little green icing on top or, you know, but... Um, during Easter, it is the traditional bread that we, you know, uh, for many people. It's, oh, wow. Or the sweet bread, you know. A yeah, sweet, so it's the same a as sweet back treat. in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, fabulous. And what I love about them as well is I always look at them as being almost like a, an Easter brioche because they do right. taste a little bit like brioche, lovely fluffy on the outside. But I think that a lot of people don't realize that they're so incredibly simple to make. I always remember, because you see the icing and everything, it looks a little bit intricate. But they are so incredibly easy to make. And yeah. oh, People are shy away, I think, from yeast breads in mm. general because of the, you know, they think it's too time-consuming. Or, you know, if they... Um, I read an article recently. Somebody, I think it was Mario Batali, said, once you practice and make enough pizza dough, you own yeast. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, working with yeast, it's uh, some people do shy away from it. Yeah, and they do. But it's so simple. I love working with fresh yeast especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that magic of when you have the fresh yeast and the sugar on top and you're, you're they're rubbing the both of them together and then it turns into liquid and then you have your water added in. It, it's... Fresh yeast is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the uh, some of these dishes that you mentioned, such as the soda bread, the the um, cabbage and bacon stew, or kolkanen. Yeah, kolkanen is th- some of these recipes and some of these dishes have not changed for centuries. No, no, right. And you know, it's um, it, it's because you know, I guess they all, a lot of those dishes actually came from the fam- famine. That's the history of them. Right. And so you had potato um, that was used a lot in cooking, and then of course because we grew an awful lot of potatoes. I think at one stage, the, the, it's over 100 and something, 160 or so varieties of potato in Ireland. Um, but that there are so many different things added in to the potato to make it a little bit more interesting. And one of those things was cabbage. And um, because cabbage root vegetables grow so well mm-hmm. in Ireland because of the, the kind of more salty soil that we have. Um, like it sugars it and makes it lovely and sweet, which is the cabbage is. And so Kulkanen is exactly that. It is really well mashed potatoes. I love adding cream into my mashed potatoes and butter, salt to please, and Kerrygold, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Kerrygold butter, and which we have Kerrygold butter here in America. It's, that's, it's wonderful Irish butter. Oh yeah, can yeah. you get it here a lot? Oh yeah. yes, yeah, 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 certainly. Yeah, I love it, yeah. yeah. Um, so these were these were dishes. Yes, as you say, sort of were invented during the famine. You used, poor, you know, basically poor, as we call it, poor type food: cabbage, turnips, mm. pota- you know. Well, of course, potatoes. There was a blight, and they didn't have potatoes. But um, you had to be quite inventive to find other means of, of feeding your family. Yeah. During those times, and then. Okay, then times got better. Times got better. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and, well, and of course, we were fortunate. We got a lot of Irish coming to our country during that time, too, and, and enriched our culture. Um, and then the cooking suddenly evolved. People thought, oh, well, there's not much to Irish cooking. You know, what, what do you mean you want to eat Irish food? There's not much to, to Irish cooking. Yeah. But the Irish food has indeed evolved it, ha- it, it has absolutely and it, it, I, I after um, I trained as a chef um, I then left the kitchen for a while I set up an, a commercial kitchen where I was making pâtés and everything but I actually left to actually work in farmers markets and with producers and with slow food which I just loved I was just attracted to it immediately mm-hmm. when I started the farmers markets when the farmers market started um, and for me the whole evolving 
of the food in Ireland started in the, we'll say the early 1970s when you had these wonderful cheesemakers you know, pocketed in West Cork, really. Um, and this, I mean, this is my own kind of view on it. Um, and you had the likes of, you know, um, Jeff uh, Gill from Darius Cheese and, um, you know, Desmond Cheese as well, Bill Hogan from Desmond Cheese and Jana Ferguson from Gabine Cheese and lots of these wonderful cheesemakers, some of them who actually came to live in West Cork and brought those skills with them. Married, I, well, one and particular anyhow married an Irish farmer and you know and they were looking at ways that how can we make um you know we'll say how can we make the milk stretch and how can we get you know more money for the quota of milk because the the quota of milk is quite low um and so that's kind of how it started when you have a little pocket of producers together and they all live kind of around the same it's about 20 kilometers around away from Mm. each other they kind of they almost like nurtured uh and um uh, a lot of kind of the different, say, smaller arts and producers around that area, and they all kind of grew together. Um, and now in West Cork, it's got like this small area has more arts and producers than anywhere in the whole of Ireland. And of course, when that happens, when you have the roots of food, and I look at them as being the roots of, you know, what comes on the table. Right. You know, they produce wonderful food. They kind of attract uh, and kind of spread their knowledge and skills and encourage other, you know, say, daughters and farmers of other, you know, farms to, you know, do something with, you know, oh, you've got pigs. Well, why don't you, you know, start curing bacon and why don't you smoke it? And, you know, why don't you make salami and chorizo, etc. It goes on and it just has like this wonderful um, kind of domino effect. And then that food goes to the markets. People are buying it at the markets. There and then, there the, a lot of these people had come from different cultures. Like Jane had a fabulous Spanish culture behind her. You know, they start you know picking up different cooking tips, and then that goes to the restaurants and the mm-hmm. chefs, and then it gets into the table. I can see your face kind of <laughs> lightening up now, going, mm, "We're talking about restaurants where I could visit now." <laughs> you know, it goes and it, it just has this like wonderful domino effect, but it has to come from somewhere. And from my belief, that's where it, it came from. From um, the roots. Yeah. From the roots from yeah. there. And then the farmer's markets then just spread it out. So like, you're talking like 15 years ago only, there was probably about you know 20 farmer's markets in Ireland. And there's now over 200. Wow. So with a small country like that, it's like looking at a state, I guess, in America. And we can make change quite fast. Um, and so the food scene now in Ireland is so, so different if somebody visited there 15 years ago. Indeed it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just from the, the visiting chefs that I've spoken to and, and the quality of the restaurants and the variety of the restaurants. Yeah. And, of course, there is a very famous cooking school, the yeah. Ballymaloo Cooking School. And that's run by Darina Allen and her uh, daughter-in-law. You... You studied with Darina, did you not? I did. I studied with Darina for three months, um, which was an incredible experience. She's um, she's definitely one of the. She is probably the the biggest icon that we have in the in the food world mm-hmm. in Ireland. She's incredible. Um, and then I went on there then to work at Ballymaloo House, um, which is under Myrtle Allen. <clears throat> and Darina's brother, Rory O'Connell, was um, the head chef at the time that I was there, and that was an incredible experience. You know. I guess that where I, I learned so much, I said, I was trying to learn, we said the beginning of my restaurant cooking um, happened there. <clears throat> and it was fantastic to see how they run their operation. They are definitely, you know, farm to fork operation there. It's, they source everything locally. They grow as much as they can. And when you're cooking with that produce, you learn to cook in a different way. You, you handle everything with care. You're meeting the fishermen coming in the back door and, 
you can hear Rory on the, you know the head chef on the phone while he while luckily this fisherman has a mobile phone and he's calling him <laughs> when he's on the way in and he's telling him what he has writing up the menu you know as that phone call comes two hours later you know this fisherman walks in the back of the door you know you smell a fish or I, well not fish but lovely fresh sea you don't want the smell of fish <laughs> you know fresh sea coming in the door with this big box of fresh fish you cook differently it's just a different thing yeah. you know you handle the fish differently and you know um how you know how precious it is and yet um, at the same time you are learning classic basics mm. classic culinary skills absolutely and, and just applying it with all these wonderful ingredients absolutely we're going to talk more about this and your own restaurant experiences too when we come back after a short break this one's called third degree rug burns by tax star on heritage radio network.org White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. Full circle return to sustainable land stewardship, the humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with Cloda McKenna, who is a cookbook author, restaurant chef, and owner, and a TV celebrity. Uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about this television series you have on PBS. It's called Irish Food Trails. Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's, it's called Cloda's Irish Food Trails, and it's been... Um, Trails as opposed to tails, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting show. Trails because? Um, trails travel. because mm-hmm. I travel uh, yeah, around Ireland. So I filmed it about three years ago and it was actually four series um, that we did. Um, and so the first two series were all based around the farmer's markets because I was involved in running farmer's markets. And so we went around to farmer's markets and then from the farmer's markets, then we went back to the roots, to the producers, and they showed me how they, we'll say, they, they made all the different produce. We did it basically by region um, be, because of the diversity, even though Ireland is such a small island, mm-hmm. the diversity between, let's say, somewhere like um, West Cork, which I've mentioned now before. And we'll Isn't say, that where you're from, too? I'm from Cork, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and there's a lot of jokes about people from Cork thinking mm-hmm. that there's nowhere else in the world but Cork. <laughs> so any Irish person listening in now will be like, oh, there she goes now. <laughs> But and and 
then we made two other series, which was actually a fishing show um, where I went out fishing with fishermen. And I've got a real passion for fishing um, and fishermen as well. I, I love what they do and I have such great respect for them. My grandpa and my uncle were both fishermen. Um, my uncle, unfortunately, was lost at sea on a fishing trip. But um, and I just have a great respect for what they do on the island. Um, and so for this show for PBS, what we did is we put all of the shows together and what we did is we put, for example, every county, we matched up the fishing series and the other series together with it. So you'd get a really wonderful picture of each region. And so for the likes of, I'm going to pick somewhere different now, <laughs> Dublin, <laughs> as opposed to the other side of the country. So the east or the west, you know, Dublin, the, the food producers over in the Dublin and the Wicklow area. And then looking across the way at Galway and Clare area are so completely different. I mean, it's almost like going to two different states in, in, in America. So like uh, in Dublin, you'd have, you know, we've wonderful apple farmers there, you know, wonderful pork as well in Wicklow, as well as game, etc. And, really funny you know new like for example there's this gentleman by the name of um david llewellyn who's just outside of dublin and he's actually even growing his own wine and mm-hmm. um, he's got an apple farm there he's making wine he's doing balsamic vinegar etc and then you go to the other side of the country because we have this wonderful moist air coming straight in from the atlantic you have a lot of people smoking fish um and so because of the curing processes and the drying rooms, etc., you have to have a certain, you know, balance of temperature and moisture and everything. And the the fish, the smoked fish from that area is absolutely incredible. So it's part travelogue, part uh, culinary tales. Right? Yeah, exactly. I also I also have a good, uh, you know, it's probably the best part. One of the best parts of the job as well is I get to sneak into the back of all you know restaurant kitchens and we show this on the show, and um, and the chefs cook for me. So oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So they they cook. You know, we tell them in advance about you know what we've been seeing and so they link up with the producers and they you know cook me up something and um yeah it's really fun and then I also do some cooking too mm-hmm. I do a little bit of work well and you are no stranger to the kitchen and mm. in fact having your own restaurant called Clotus Kitchen yeah um tell us how long have you how long has that kitchen uh, that restaurant been around it's been about two years I have we'll say um it's within a department store I guess it's kind of like a little surprise just like Roberta's on the Heritage Radio is <laughs> as well when you come to the department so you don't necessarily maybe expect to have you know a little seasonal you know menu uh, restaurant so we hope that it's a really fun surprise for people when they come in we have um three inside i've got a bakery as well inside there with an in-house bakery where everything's made from scratch i also have a very large restaurant for about 180 seater where it's self-service oh. and we do all the homemade favorites with the twist in it um and then at the top floor then small little thing it's a kitchen it's a little open kitchen so you come in you sit down it's quite french in style interior um and then you come in and sit down and it's a small little seasonal menu um using really delicious locally sourced foods and in season like we have rabbit ragu on or or famous kind of crab cakes that come from a really good crab supplier and and I'm actually opening up a new restaurant in two months' time. So when I get back from here, we're going straight into opening up that restaurant. So you would call it Irish cooking. I mean, the, the food is is Irish food because it's the food that you say it's it's farm to, to table. So it it's is. the local food. So it's Irish cooking. Right? It, it is. Yeah, I guess so, my so. Uh, my style of cooking because I lived in France and I also lived in Italy. I lived in Italy for three years in the north of Italy. And when I was growing up, I spent my summers in France and I still go down to France every year. That I'd say the inspiration of the recipes, because if you can look at it on a map like this, south of France, going up to the north of Italy, that would be my pocket of inspiration for recipes, as well as trips to New York and Roberta's. <laughs> um, and then we'll say the source 
of where the food is coming, the roots of where the food is coming, is, is you know, all around Ireland. And so I kind of, I magnate, I bring those two together mm-hmm. um, and try to make really nice food. Yeah. Well, you're here in town in New York City uh, promoting your newest book and project. Yes. The, um, the book called Clota's Kitchen Diaries. Mm. That it's, and you write it like... Like you are keeping a diary, and um, tell me what you know. Why? Why did you do a diary book? What was that all about? Why did I do? Um, well, I, my last book was called Homemade, and and it went it was received very well. Um, and so my publisher wanted me to write another book, and yeah, I'm not one to kind of hurry anything. So you know, <laughs> three years later, um, I, I just wanted to wait until I was ready, and I was kind of inspired to do something. And I love cooking by seasons. That's what I live for. Like, don't you love that it's Easter? When I look, you know, coming up to Easter, and we're looking at hot crisp ones. We're right. so excited about right. them. But if we had hot crust ones every day, I don't know if they'd be so hot, you know? It's like that. So I love cooking by month and excited about what's coming in next. Or, um, And also, I don't... I like to get straight to the point when I get home. You know, I go, I've been usually chefing all day in the kitchen. I've probably got a, a time frame of about a half an hour to get dinner ready. And I don't open up the book and I want them to tell me what to eat. So it's kind of like a selfish book, really, because it's like my companion in the kitchen. <laughs> I open up July and I know it's going to be full of, you know, delicious fresh fish recipes and and salad recipes, etc. you know, for the warmer weather, we hope. Um, and, and you have been tra- traveling around quite a bit and, and had a lot of inspiration lot. from other people, I would imagine. Yeah, I've traveled yeah. a lot. Um, gosh, I've been so lucky. I've traveled, I've traveled everywhere to... Oh, a lot in America. I've been to um, Alice Waters in Chez Panisse. She's always a constant inspiration. I think her, and I was involved with her Slow Food Nation and her green kitchen that she did in um, a few years back in San Francisco. Uh, and in Italy, of course, as well. I lived there for three years and got to travel all over Italy. Um, which That's was, when you were with the Slow Food mm, Movement yeah, Project. Yeah, I, I worked at the University there of Gastronomy. Mm-hmm. And so I worked mainly with all of the, the non-Italian-speaking um, um non-Italian speaking students that used to come over and I used to look after actually creating the syllabus I was had a part of creating the syllabus too and also um, bringing lectures in that would be interesting from around the world we actually brought Coleman Andrews came over oh, um, which was really good fun and lots of other great um, food writers as well so I learned so much there and actually it was when I came back from Italy to Ireland that I actually then feel ready and confident enough to do my own restaurant well, you're you're doing a little special restaurant on Saturday, oh. um, a pop up. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, this pop up is actually becoming you know the most epic point of my career to date. Um, I have been a huge fan of Danny Meyer for a long time and his chef team, um, especially Chris Bradley, who was Grandma's Tavern and is now on, in Untitled in the Whitney uh, Museum, and um, and yeah, Danny has been very supportive and and loved the idea of doing um doing a pop-up and so we're doing it on saturday basically the menu is called the irish elements and um, for and for the listeners who are outside the new york area um this restaurant is the the new restaurant that's been installed in the whitney museum Mm -hmm. here in in the city yeah and the menu is amazing and chris bradley the chef is incredible i'm so excited to be working with them and um, we're going to be actually prepping in the gramercy tavern which is oh it's just all my dreams in one day <laughs> but it's an, an elements menu so basically we're taking um you know bacon and cabbage but we're doing a really contemporary version on it with like slow braised cooked pig's cheeks which will be kind of um, bedded will be rolled in apple and sage and then sliced and then bedded on you know very slow spiced red cabbage and then like a floret of um of caramelized apple etc but a highlight for me as well is that or Taoiseach, who's the head of state in ireland is actually coming over for the dinner oh my goodness wife, wow. which is really fun so it's almost like the official saint patrick's day dinner that we're 
that we're holding. So, so then everyone get wonderful. a full belly, then go out and celebrate and go to the parade the following yeah. day. Oh, no, the parade is Saturday in New York City. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Um, with you coming and you were talking about um, having a, a sister-in-law who had lived in Savannah, Georgia for a long mm. time. And I was surprised about the large Irish population in Georgia. And come to find out, you know, we New Yorkers think that our parade is the end-all, be-all, right? <laughs> but the parade, the big, the big parade, and the biggest, the biggest parade, and and the longest uh, lasting parade started in Savannah, Georgia. I know, two hundred years ago. It's my goodness. extraordinary. In eighteen thirteen, I, I, it, I was floored. I have yeah, to say. So was I. Actually, it was actually for a piece I did for CNN dot com, and they asked me, you know, where my favorite place. I started doing research, talking to people, and then. Because you need to, as you know, you need to start doing that to just to bring back different memories to you as well of what, like, what are the best kind of highlighted places to go to for St. Patrick's. But the history there is incredible of the Irish immigration over to that area. And that's the reason why. But the celebrations actually start the week before St. Patrick's Day and all that week going all the way up. They have different things like they have, they plan Irish music sessions in different areas. They have Kayleys, which are basically an organised disco but you're Irish dancing uh-huh. very traditional boys on one side girls on the other side they come together I love it that, actually that should be the new thing oh, I think it would be yeah. line Kaylee. dancing we had we had you know line dancing from yeah. Texas we might as well do Wouldn't Irish that be dancing fun? you yeah. could do it in Roberta some night yeah. <laughs> we'll talk to them about that okay we got to finish up with a little food here before we end the show so you have taken like I love these dishes you're doing for the pop-up restaurant everything old is new again you're taking these old traditional dishes but giving them a, a modern twist yeah. You do the same thing, um, and you have a recipe in your book for um, what you call a mini Guinness. Yeah. Tell me about that. We'll have a little dessert here before we end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love the, I mean, I love French cooking as well. So um, I love chocolate mousses when they're done really well with really good quality chocolate. So basically, these are it's a classic chocolate mousse. You add coffee into it, then you pour them into the, try to find the cutest glass that you can find, especially like a little mini pint glass would be perfect. <laughs> Set it, and then when it comes back out, then you top it with whipped cream and maybe put a little chocolate on top, and you've got a mini Guinness. So it would be wonderful if you're going to have, we'll say, a little kind of a foodie celebration to bring out smaller, even shot ones out to all your guests and do a big schlointa. Schlointa means cheers, by the way, in Ireland, schlointa. which you all should learn off for St. Patrick's okay, Day. Okay, say that again for me. Schlointa. Schlointa. Okay. <laughs> well, schlointa to you. And congratulations on, on all your wonderful events that are happening, the, the TV series, the book, and the pop-up restaurant, and, and your new restaurant. It was a pleasure to learn from you, and there's so much more I know we could talk about to learn about Irish cuisine we'll have to take a look at that that television series and we'll learn it all (laughs) and thanks for listening this has been a taste of the past i'm your host linda palaccio the theme song on a taste of the past is by the budos band thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.